Welcome to the Imposter Syndrome Club, population 7.9 billion. Yeah, the good news and the bad news. They all belong. That's right. We're all invited. We're all invited to the shittest club (laughs) (laughs) in the world. But, I mean, it is consoling knowing that we're not alone there certainly and I feel like as a as a proud card carrying member both of us I'm excited to dig more into it hear what you think what other people think how the fuck to make sense of all of it yeah (laughs) I'm Jessamine G and I'm joined by Alice Edie hi 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 Alice so nice to be here with you and I must say even though like Obviously, we're going to solve the world's problems through this podcast and talk about some very serious and important issues. It's like a very selfish premise being here because I basically just want to get to hang out with you once a week for the as long as you will allow me to do it. That's all I, that's all I want to hear. I'm so, I will take, as you know, any excuse to hang out with you and yeah, this is, this is as good as any, this is better than drinking, I feel. This is absolutely no there's no downside yeah no there's hangover. no um emotional hangover potentially that's a real thing my sister was telling me about this the other day oh. yeah she's a life coach and she was saying that you have to be careful there's all this talk about vulnerability recently but she's like just understand that while it's a very strong thing to be vulnerable there's a very real emotional hangover that can happen afterwards interesting yeah well speaking of vulnerability <laughs> We thought both in the spirit of letting people know a little bit about us, but also in the spirit of, of vulnerability and cringe and um, and really at what's at the heart of the imposter syndrome is that we will read our bios and we're going to read our own bios because I don't think I've known a single person and certainly not me that hasn't really struggled to write their own bio because it's this weird thing where you're pretending it's not you. Yeah. Everyone right? knows. Everyone knows that you write your own bio and yet it's in third person. Like there's some journalist who's like following you around, documenting your career. Right, which is particularly funny when you're like 22 and you've literally done <laughs> fuck all and you're like, hmm, yes, Jessamy G. <laughs> Her interests include <laughs> former baby. Uh, <laughs> Jessamy Jean. Alice Edie's current baby. <laughs> God, so we're gonna re- okay, so we're yeah. gonna read these out loud. I'm already embarrassed. I think I'm already blushing and I'm I'm about to apologize in advance and then I'm like, this is literally the fucking imposter syndrome club. Like we're better. Oh, you know what though? I'm just realizing that this bio that I brought up for you, Alice, was Oh, I should mention as well with this podcast, this has come out of your Creative Mornings talk. So Alice did a talk on the theme of dare for Creative Mornings Melbourne last year. It was called the Imposter Syndrome Club. So that's kind of where the premise of this podcast has come from. Um, And I think it would be great to go onto the Creative Mornings site and have a listen to that because I was so, I actually listened to it this morning before you came over. Just the amount of wisdom, but also some really great, um, you know, like um, research-based stuff around, like the, I think he did a thing that was like the anatomy of a dare and it's got to have, um, is it steaks? steaks? Steaks and choice. That was the one. Yeah. I was like, oh, God, this is an exam. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I've said. B minus. <laughs> I'll take it. 
Um, yes, but it's wonderful. So anyway, I'm just realizing that this bio that I brought up for you is actually specific to that talk. Oh, let's do it. I, I have it anyway. a different, I have a different bio for kind of every weird little pocket of my life yeah, and they keep okay. changing. Um, so yeah. Okay. So it yeah, doesn't matter. Do All it. right. So take it away. All right. Um, so Alice Edie is an artist and graphic scribe based in Nam or Melbourne. Her background in calligraphy and typography combined with a fascination with storytelling is at the heart of all Alice's work. On the surface, it seems that Alice has two very different creative careers, working in a fine art space one day and then helping businesses to visualize their strategies the next. And then I go on to kind of make it a bit more specifically about the Creative Mornings talk. But um, it's really, even just doing this now, like I'm just noticing how I wanted to kind of make it a joke reading was, it. And I'd like, I held back as I was like, no, absolutely don't, don't even go there. But like, I wanted to be overdramatic and kind of be rolling my own eyes at myself. I'm like, no, but this is all true. Yes. It's really, it's exactly what I noticed in you too, that you almost went there and you pulled yourself yeah. back. You yeah. almost went into jokey mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you also seemed to get more comfortable as you went. But how did it feel in your... Oh, I felt it did that thing. And I've had this a few times. I mean, like, it's not as if I've been in a position to have my bio read much, mm. but occasionally for work, um, a speaker might, we both do graphic recording work and there might be a speaker who does introduce us first. And I think that it's always this journey from feeling very uncomfortable in that spotlight and very cringy, but then there's something about being reacquainted with the stuff that you're, I mean, at the end of the day, this is the stuff that we're interested in and we're good at. Yeah. And you kind of are just like, yeah, that's not, that's also fine. Like, it's not, it's not arrogant to, to be good at your job. Like, yeah. you're not saying you're good at everyone's jobs. You're just, this is your thing, right? That's right. That's right. And they're just, it's just facts that it's, you're reading out. It's just you know? facts. It's just yeah. Facts. Yeah. That's interest. Yeah. It, I found it like quite a, it, by the end of it, quite nice to reconnect with the thing and be like, yeah, that is, that is what I do. Yes. That's correct. Well, you're up. I'm so funny. Okay, so already what I'm noticing myself is like, how long can I keep this conversation yeah. going so that maybe she'll forget? Oh, totally. And I won't. I was, doing the, I was doing the opposite. I was like, do I think I've reflected on this enough? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, all right, all right. <clears throat> oh, fuck, it's got like a really cringy smile. <laughs> oh. And I'm really, I can already feel myself like, even though I've just noticed this in you, immediately wanting to go to jokey joke. Yeah, yeah, lol, lol face. Don't <sighs> okay. do it. All right, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be very serious. I also need to make the text bigger because I don't have my glasses <laughs> on. Wasting more time. Okay. <clears throat> As one of Australia's leading graphic recorders, Melbourne-based Jessamie G has developed a unique skill set in listening, synthesising, capturing and communicating information visually. She is the founder and director of Think in Colour, founder and president of Graphic Recorders Australia, author of GR's Best Mate and co-author of The World of Visual Practice. In 2018, Jessamy was the keynote speaker at the inaugural BizConf in Melbourne. In 2020, she became the first Australian director to serve on the board of the International Forum of Visual Practitioners, or IFVP. And in 2021, Jessamy took over the role of chapter host for Creative Mornings Melbourne. Since launching Thinking Colour in 2011, Jessamy has become internationally renowned for her work and has serviced a diverse range of clients all around Australia, New Zealand, Asia and Europe across the corporate, community, education and government sectors. 
it, it does go on a little bit, but it's just giving specific examples of clients and stuff, which is not um, particularly interesting. It also, I don't, I don't know if I'm making that choice because I'm like, I've been talking too long, no one wants to hear that, or if it's because it feels too show-offy. But either way, I'm like, oh, people are getting bored. That's probably yeah. actually the um, the main thing I'm feeling is like, oh, stop, stop, stop talking like, about yourself. People are getting bored. Too much airtime. Mm. I don't was. I mean, I wasn't timing it. It was probably thirty seconds. Yeah, really. Filling it up. Like, I'm like, stop it. People will hate you. Stop it. They're gonna be so mad. Yeah. They're not gonna like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They're too confident. They're not gonna like you. Yeah, stop it. Like, be confident, but not like that. But not too confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Just yeah. self-effacing enough to be non-threatening. Exactly. So, how did yeah. it feel reading just a list of true things? Well, so like I'm saying, started off feeling a little awkward, but I've never. Um, I've never read that out loud before and it actually felt fucking great. Amazing. Yeah, like reading a list of things and, I've, and I can feel um, uh, this sort of momentum that I've picked up in my career by, and I can remember sort of the journey that I've been on by le- reading those things out pretty much in order, I've got to say, like that's sort of the order in which they, all of those things happened and feeling that sort of snowballing momentum of the journey that I've been on over the past, you know, 11, 11 and 12 years. Um, it's actually very satisfying and I actually felt quite proud. Amazing. Yeah. Do you think there's something about the third personness of it, which I know we were kind of taking the piss out of that and I still do find it very strange that yes. that's just this accepted format for a bio, but, but do you think that it's something about the fact that we're so conditioned to be self-critical that almost like... F- creating this form of describing yourself in the third person gives you permission to just be kinder to yourself because now you're talking about yourself like you talk about someone else and you just we, we don't rip into other people the same way we tend to with ourselves mm. is that a yeah does that theory make sense it does I think you're right because I was just trying to like do a brief experiment in my mind and say if I was saying rather than Jessamy G has developed a unique skill set and blah 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 if I was saying I have developed a yeah. unique skill set. That feels much ickier to yeah. me yeah. than saying Jess me has blah, yeah. blah, blah. Interesting. Exactly. And I also feel like I can, I'm used to describing, or I feel like all of us are used to describing other people's achievements. So it's kind of that's a for, format and mode mm. that I'm quite comfortable in. But yeah, I think if it had put in, I mean, it was cringy. It felt weird to do, but I think it would have been 50 times weirder interesting we can divorce ourselves from yeah. it a little bit yeah and is that something you think we also because you know as humans we have this thing we have different a different set of expectations for ourselves than we do for other people and things that we think about ourselves or say about ourselves we would never say about someone yeah. else and you know those things of like oh everyone would hate me if they found out xyz but then you found out xyz about a million other people and you're like no i love them it doesn't yeah. matter so do we, do you think that we don't like people talking about their achievements in the first person or we don't care? We only care about ourselves and the awkwardness of us talking about us and our achievements in the first person. Yeah. I have, I mean, the short answer is I have no idea. I reckon it's probably like we get there from different paths, each of us, but like I definitely think as, as women, there's maybe an extra layer of conditioning where it's, where that might be considered threatening. Like we don't, it's like your 
you kind of are trained much more to placate the people around you. So you're, you're kind of constantly filtering through, like, is this going to come across as in some way confrontational versus being smaller? Mm. People will like me more if I'm smaller and people will like me more if they don't feel threatened by me. So I'm going to, and I think in the beginning it's a performance, but I think after years and years and years, it just becomes how you relate to the world. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Because you start believing it as well. It's not only like, oh, I'm trying to make myself appear smaller. Yes. The more you practice being smaller, you become smaller. Yeah. I'm interested as well, because obviously you grew up in South Africa and I grew up in Melbourne. And it's a very, not that it's unique to Australia, but it's a very Australian thing, this tall poppy syndrome. And I think I spent a lot of my life you know, A, being a woman and all of those things that you just rightly spoke about and B, being Australian, is that it's not cool to talk about your achievements or historically it's not been cool to talk about your achievements. And if you do, it has to be in like a very self-effacing, self-deprecating sort of way, you know, you've got to like put on a dumb voice or whatever when you do that thing. I don't know. um, Is it the same kind of vibe in South Africa or is it different? And is that something you've noticed? In Australia. It's definitely, I don't know if I could speak to it in South Africa because it's maybe so different, different careers, I think, reward different ways of selling yourself as well. And like maybe Mm. I was doing much more freelance illustration work, working in a much more isolated kind of space when I was back in Cape Town. But um, it's definitely a thing I've been made aware of here that it's kind of culturally not always. Yeah, there's definitely a sense that that if you get too big for your boots, that that's not considered okay. Um, And I wonder if it's also maybe, maybe there's also a sense that if you, like with that, with that confidence, like you, you can show up and you can be proud of your achievements or whatever, but it is, it also, it's scary because you're then almost setting up an expectation that you've got to fill as well. So maybe Mm. there's also that part of it where, because I feel like on some days I'm more than happy to show up in that space and I'm and, and own it. And then literally the next day I want to crawl under my bed and hide. And I'm like, my God, I've been faking it the whole time. <laughs> and they know they're coming for me because they, they know. No, they're yeah. all going to find out. Yeah. And when I'm in one of those head spaces, I'm like, almost like the last thing I want to do is read a bio like that because I'm like, oh yeah, that was, that was last year. That was three years ago. That was back when I was feeling different. And now I've got to kind of live up to that. So it's in both directions. Yeah. I'm like, it's just stressful in both ways. That's interesting, isn't it? Because like, as we were saying before, when we were reading out the bios, it's just a list of facts. Yeah. So we're not saying anything about the type of person Alice Edie is or the expectations you should have. We're not saying she is, um, I don't know, what, driven, a leader, blah, blah, blah. These are the things that we infer from the content of the bios, but it's not, you're not necessarily setting up any um, any details or parameters around who you are as a human being and what expectations should be said of you, but we read between our own lines yeah. Do you know, I've been thinking about this and this might be like a slight tangent, but I'm all about tangents. <laughs> so, so I was thinking about the difference between personality and character and it mm. feels like it relates because it's like the the top one, like personality and in the bio, it's a little bit similar in the sense of like, these are the things that you know about yourself. Like we're saying, it's a list of facts that you can communicate and you can 
verbalize that to a new person who you've literally had like one minute with you can tell them this about yourself but like character is the patterns that emerge over time that like you yourself are not even aware of so you can meet Mm. someone who's got an amazing personality they're fun funny smart all of the things that you can establish on a date or over a coffee but only time and their repeated patterns of behavior like that's when character emerges and I, I don't know mm. yeah bio is an interesting one because it's that first layer of like these are the these are the facts but then you're talking about that inference which is yeah but like what is when this person with this amazing bio shows up at an event like what does it feel like to be around the president of graphic recorders australia madam president <laughs> it feels it feels pretty good being around <laughs> that's so interesting and do you think that character, is that something that ties back to values? Oh, that I think you're spot on. Mm. And most people can't articulate, I think most of us struggle to articulate what our values are. It's so the water yes. that the fish is in that you don't see it. 100%. Do you know, have you, can I ask, have you done your, do you know what your values are? Well, and I can't. I couldn't tell you if these are um, values that already existed or choices that I made around things that I wanted to focus on. I imagine it's probably a little bit of both. Like there were things that I were, I was leaning towards or leaning into. And I was like, this is feeling really good. This is where I want to focus my energy. Um, So we're both very big Brene Brown fans. And I did in, I don't know what fucking year it was because pandemic so it could have been 2020 could have been 2021 <laughs> not entirely sure um I did this really awesome leadership. <laughs> at some point before this recording <laughs> yeah at some okay. point got it post pandemic pre this recording got not post pandemic post the start of it yeah anyway doesn't matter um but I did this leadership course um that was run out of the states and it was based on the work of Brene Brown and her dare to lead program so it's all you know um the facilitator do a certification as a dare to lead facilitator and they, they run all over the world. And it was honestly one of the best gifts I've ever given myself. I was such a fucking pain in the ass for the whole time that I was doing it because every time I caught up with anyone, I'm like, I'm doing this leadership course at the moment. I just learned all of this stuff and it's amazing. I'm just like, you know, when you can hear yourself and you're like, oh my God, shut the fuck up That's the best. about this thing. <laughs> It's the best when someone's excited about something. Yeah, you know? yes. It was, but yeah, it was awesome. I highly, highly recommend it. Or even just looking into some of her work. Um, anyway, so as as part of that course, we did do um, quite a bit of work around values and identifying your values. And you had to choose two, and I ended up choosing three. Funnily enough, and I've got them stuck to my computer, um, which Alice can see there. And one of them has fallen off, and I don't know where it's gone. Oh, here it is. But maybe that's the one that was meant to go. Oh, it was positive impact. You probably keep that one. <laughs> but so th- those were the three that I chose um, were growth, authenticity, and positive impact. Um, authenticity has been a bit of a journey for me, I think, but it's really, really important. So as graphic recorders, we have this weird thing where we've got a foot in both camp of like artists and creatives and the corporate world. And I found that gap when I first started doing this sort of work really, really hard and I felt like I had a 
work me and a play me and the two didn't meet and I would like wear like my fucking like black Kmart suit. (laughs) I had dreadlocks at the time, mind you, so I wasn't hiding it that well. But I really felt like I had to put on like my adult voice you know, like I was a teenager speaking to someone's mom. I was, and I think part of it was just being younger and not as confident in myself and who I was in general. So that probably came through a lot. And also not having yet realized that there was nothing like different or special about these people because they go to work in big buildings and wear suits. Like they're just as complicated, creative, lovely, horrible as the rest of us. Um, And there's no like, there's no the man, all of these big businesses, all of these big buildings in the city are just made up of people mainly doing their best. Um, So over time, and I think it was really, clothes are something that are really, are really important to me. And I've always um, expressed a lot of my personality through what I wear. So I don't feel, for me, I don't feel like they're, it's frivolous or it's nothing. So to watch the evolution of how what I wore changed over time and it kind of met somewhere in the middle. So probably when I started my like normal casual wear would have been like way out there and then my work wear was, yeah, like black Kmart suits. <laughs> so I, I looked like I was part of the catering stuff. I was just going to say I remember those first jobs looking like I was going to offer someone a canopy. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm sure that people like asked me to like where the bathrooms were or to move the furniture. I went, I obliged if I knew I would help. <laughs> um, but yeah, to sort of, as I grew more comfortable over time and meeting somewhere in the middle, both in how I was presenting myself, but how I was dealing with clients and realizing as well, the more you talk in your normal voice, using your normal words, um, talking about taking your dog to the vet or your husband or kids or whatever, you know, talking like two human beings to one another rather than client and contractor or whatever. I felt this like exhale in people. They're like, oh, oh, thank fuck we can be ourselves. I think particularly in those corporate environments where, and I think it has changed, the culture of those places has changed a lot in more recent years and people are more open, but still there's certain expectations on people that we leave this stuff at home, that's for something else. Um, And in really hierarchical structures, people are really stressed all the time because they're worried about what their bosses and colleagues think. Anyway, so I I sort of realised that this, the act of being yourself, not only is it more comfortable for you, but it's so helpful for everyone else. Yeah. Because as soon as you start doing that, that gives them permission to do that. I was just going to say it's a complete invitation to someone else that they can show up as a human being and they don't have to perform. I always think of it's like just when you finish uni and you see friends go, I had like a few friends who studied law and just watching them post their Facebook posts of their first day in the office and it literally looked like kids wearing school uniforms that were too big for them. Just watching these like early 20-somethings wearing suits, these ill-fitting suits to go. And like something happens where that goes from being like a dress-up party to being 10 years later and and weirdly constraining. Like you, I mean, I'm not advocating that everyone shows up in their pajamas, but I think there's so, like you're saying, so much space in the middle to just also show up as, a human being and they're definitely 
yeah, I've I've gone through the, that similar trajectory of way overcorrecting in the in the very very just like black black but even button up which I ha- like I hate Same. a button up I do it's my worst and things you have to iron fuck ironing no, I've never especially done especially if you're traveling no, you've never done no. see you're a smart woman <laughs> <laughs> you're smarter than me I can't I just I couldn't I couldn't but um I think I went through a period oh. of wearing like a shirt and a vest so I didn't have to iron oh, oh, no. <laughs> Like in those early days, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a confident no. <laughs> <laughs> oh it got God. better with time, but yeah, I had to had to work out where I fit. Oh, I think also recognize. I mean, there's so much to unpack with that authenticity conversation, but just that idea as well of like, well, firstly, for us, people are in fact paying us to be to bring an element of creativity to a conversation. So the yeah. irony of being hired as a creative and then going and dressing up like what we think adults in jobs look like is just so <laughs> the depth of irony but then also I, re- I remember reading a study where they basically I can't remember the exact terms of it but they'd compared footwear and they'd had like traditional squared toe like leather brogue footwear that people would wear with a suit or whatever and then sneakers and basically how in an organization, when someone walked in with this, I mean, this would have been a few years ago, someone walked in with a suit and the conventional shoes or the sneakers, that it, people around them typically assumed that that person had more power if they were wearing the sneakers, because it was kind of this flex of like, past a certain point, you no longer need to pretend that you're not a person. Like at, at, at higher levels, you're allowed, there's more space afforded to be a person which is very problematic and I think speaks to obviously the, that whole hierarchical mm. structure, but it was really interesting and it completely changed the way I thought about clothes in that space. I was like, it's such a, like, isn't it weird that just being a human could be a power move? It's, it's so, it's funny you say that. This is something that Dan and I, um, my husband Dan and I talked about a bit because we both used to travel quite a lot for work. So you'd end up spending a lot of time in airport lounges and thinking like the the richest dude here is not the guy in the suit. It's the guy in the T-shirt. Totally. Because if you're, yeah, exactly. Because if you've got that much power, you can wear what the fuck yeah. you want. You don't have to be impressing anymore. Yeah. Well, speak, I think I took it, I think I pushed this theory past its threshold the other day. It was my first <laughs> in-person job and I showed up and I'd kind of, just threw on, I can't even remember what clothes I was wearing, but I remember that I was wearing sneakers and only upon arriving at the job, I kind of like looked down at my feet and I was, I used to wear these sneakers pre-pandemic and they kind of had a bunch of animal print on them and they're pretty fun. And I was like, that's, that's cool. Like I'm the creative here. I'm allowed to wear sneakers. This is fine. And I looked down and there's just not even one, but two holes. Like both <laughs> shoes had holes in them. And I was like, two is tricky. Oh one- no. <laughs> What would one be okay? I think one one would forgive too. Like, are you are you okay? I was, it just feels 
like I'm taking the piss. This feels like I'm just actively... Oh, you poor love. Yeah, yeah, and it was too late. I had to just lean into it. I was like, this is a look, maybe? How big were the holes? Oh, no, like toe. Like, it, like you could see, like you could see through. <laughs> it wasn't good. <laughs> but yeah, so there's a li- what I'm saying is there are limits to this power dressing theory. But but yeah, I stand by yes. that. I stand by being, yeah, taking up a bit more space and not needing to be invisible is, is important, but it takes a while to get there. Yeah, that's true. And it is, it's. It's funny because when I talk about, you know, like using your own words and your own voice and stuff, um, it's like, again, like, yes, but within limits. So, like, you know, you still want to subscribe to, like, basic politeness. And, like, obviously the way that I talk to my husband isn't going to be the same way that I talk to a new client. I'm much nicer to the client. (laughs) (laughs) Don't doubt it. I try to for it to be just a little shift rather than a total like because I think I was actually quite bad at that particularly as a kid like I noticed some of my friends were really good with parents particularly the boys actually which is interesting not not um entirely but um but I always felt really awkward with grown-ups and I'm talking now like I'm the kid and my clients are grown-ups but <laughs> sort of dynamic like someone that you feel like has more like potentially more power than you in a situation or that's how it used to feel anyway and I feel like my entire person used to change like my voice would go up an octave and I'd be really yeah like I think nervous and I wonder if some of that's got to do with like still working out who like I didn't feel comfortable being like oh this is who I am to Mrs Smith because I wasn't super sure of it. Yeah. And does it get easier because, like, you practice doing it or does it get easier because you actually know more about yourself and think, oh, maybe this does have value and it's okay to just yeah be me? I don't know. Again, back to back to that feeling like an imposter. It's, it's like that, that asymmetry in a power balance like they speak about it in improv where they basically say in any scene you need to be aware of where the status is located like the second there's more than one human on a stage there's a power dynamic and there's no right or wrong but it's for especially in that context like if you're going to play out a scene you need to be aware of who has status who's high status and who's low status and I think yeah it blew my mind just just having that filter on and I mean I think in in friendships essentially you've always got or I think in a healthy friendship it would be equal but on in any given moment it's slight you know there'd be just waves depending on you know if you're at someone's birthday party that's a different dynamic to if you're I don't know at at, a lunch with them or I I don't know wow this is really blowing does that, my mind. Does that make sense? I'm always wishing that, like, the audience could, like, there was visuals. So I'm just standing with, like, wide eyes and my mouth oh, yeah. open. Like, you have to know where the status is located. Yeah. And I think we give that away a lot. Like, and that's part of, I mean, built, baked into feeling like an imposter is is the assumption that in that dynamic, that firstly the other person is the high status and you're the low status and that they could kick you out at any state. Like, that you, mm. that you don't belong and you're basically waiting for them to find out that you don't belong but if you were showing up with equal power you wouldn't need to worry about that and then how much of that is real and how much of that is perception so for example I had a what ended up being 
a pretty toxic friendship, but it was a friendship that I'd had for a long time and something I really, it was the worst breakup I've ever had in my life. And I feel like, you know, as we go on with this podcast, friendships and friendship breakups is something I would really like to explore because we don't talk about it a lot and it's it's really hard. It's heartbreak. It is. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I had a broken heart for a long time, but, um, but, but I bring it up just to say that I think the major downfall and why we ended up having to, to sort of slowly part ways was, um, the way that we saw the status dynamic of our relationship was different. Oh my God. So I saw it and had always seen it as equal. And she saw me as having more status or power Mm. than her. And I can only assume thought that I thought that too. Yeah. Um, because I guess it would be hard to, if that's, if you truly believe that, of course you would think that the other person thought it was true because you wouldn't think it was perception. You'd think it was fact. So I guess that's where it becomes tricky as well, right? Because we're making assumptions just because I feel like you're the high, highest status person in this relationship or situation or event or whatever doesn't necessarily mean that a it's true or b that you agree yeah and also yes and that that idea of it's on one hand it's completely made up so it's not true but on the other hand it's completely made up and it is true because power is in what you perceive it to be so it's also if she if her perception was that you had the higher power differential in that dynamic like she was giving you that so you did like so for her you you did have it it was real that's true yeah yeah that's it if, if that's the way that you're perceiving it then that is true yeah. for you oh I remember I, this is so interesting to me I feel like just status in general as a concept is such a fascinating because mm-hmm. it's a completely invisible but it has markers everywhere and, and it's always present but just not usually acknowledged but I remember coming up or sort of feeling it so viscerally in my first year in Australia in terms of social dynamics and how difficult it is to make friends across like a massive asymmetry of wanting and needing that friendship. And it's Mm. nothing to do with someone being a dick. They can be the loveliest person. If their life is full, it automatically creates a power differential because you need the thing more than they need the thing. So you're eternally in dynamics with people that just that feel so weirdly kind of icky in that way. Yeah. Gosh, that's interesting. I um, but before we started recording, I was talking to you about a podcast I re- listened to recently, um, Glennon Doyle's podcast, mm-hmm. We Can Do Hard Things. She's so awesome and I love her so much. Um, and two of the most recent episodes were about friendship and about a lot of this stuff. And she has, she speaks in metaphors a lot, which I, as a visual person, <laughs> love. And some of them really like, whoa, you feel right in your tummy. And this one I thought was really, really great. And we were talking about um, this in the context before of you don't always crave the things that you need. Um, and for her, as someone who's very introverted, she doesn't crave time with friends, but she knows that she needs it. And then talking about that sort of power dynamic when you've got different levels of need and craving, it's like um, it's like someone's continuing to feed you when you're already full. So if you're you're here, you're newly arrived, you don't have a network, 
you're hungry. Oh, I love you're, you know, that. You're, you're so hungry. Yes. And there's other people who are maybe they would they absolutely adore you and they think you're the best and they're so happy to be your new friend, but, like, they just ate. That is they're such full, a And you don't want to over-serve them, yeah. right? Yeah. Because then you're, you're just doing it for you. So and there it, has to be that balance. Totally. And it doesn't make them a bad person for being full. Like, no. they just ate. It's not, it's not no one's fault. But if you've got, to, I imagine as well, if you've got two like starving people mm. and neither of you have any food, that's not helpful either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's not, it's not incidental that, that people who are super, um, have like a very anxious attachment style already want to hook up or described as thirsty. Like, yeah. It's, <laughs> that is it. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's that thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's the thing. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, um, and how did you combat that when you were there and you're in need of a good meal? (laughs) 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 Um, yeah, I, the honest answers, I think time was a big part of it, but I think it's also, it's showing up again and again, but I think you, for me anyway, putting myself in spaces like shared studio spaces where you can like slowly accrue time with people where there are no stakes. So almost like my social time, I probably have a handful of friends from that first year and I was meeting a lot more people externally and most of those friendships I'd say faded away just because it was such a weirdly high stakes high yeah I was I was very hungry (laughs) and I don't think it lays a good foundation necessarily but what ends up happening is that's just almost like a way to direct your you have to do something right so that's Mm. your first year and there are there are a percentage of those friendships that have lasted and been incredible but um but then in the background the water level is slowly, slowly rising in terms of just other people that you're not even necessarily on your radar yet, but you're just seeing every day, passing each other in the studio, going for a polite drink, studio drink once a season or whatever. And then four years later, those are your community. Mm. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. I think it's interesting as well with those, um, that slow build of relationships, which is how most relationships happen, whether it's because you've been going to school with someone or work with someone or whatever. But there is a point where we stop, mm, not that we're necessarily being inauthentic or imposters, but there is like an element of, I don't know, we hide a lot of our crazy maybe. Oh, totally. We're just not 100%, you know, so we think, okay, we've got like gym friends, work friends, and then we've got like, real friends who we let see all the parts of it, all the beauty, all the ugliness, the whole Mm. thing, Um, where you can really let your hair down with someone, you would cry in front of them, you'd pick them up from the airport, that kind of thing. And there is a point, like, and I remember this happening, I remember this happening with you and I remember this happening with other people where it's like you just, you go off the edge in a good way, in a good way. You fall off the edge of the cliff from, like, play nice friendship to real, true, beautiful friendship. And you don't have, you know, 50 of those people. You have a small handful of those people. But I wonder, like, when does that happen? Do people feel it at the same time? Do you feel, because it feels almost like it's a slow build, 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 but that 
that ping off the edge is actually very quick. Yeah. You know, it might be like you spent, you go away for a weekend together or you get drunk together for the first time or something. Like yeah. there's usually like a thing, an event, you go out by yourselves without the person who'd been your in-between. Yes. Um, Definitely. Yeah. There's a definite turning point. Like I agree with that hundred percent. I think you feel your way there. I think both people tend to give little micro signs, like little micro, micro testing, testing, but there is always that kind of like the switch I feel flicks over. I remember yeah. With another one of my friends, Laura, it was we went camping and at some point after a bottle of red wine, she asked which Harry Potter house I was in, which I don't like I've never done any one of those quizzes. But I was like, I just turned to her and we looked at each other and at exactly the same moment, we both said Slytherin. And that was, and that was the moment. It was like, yes. And we've been in love ever since. <laughs> it can be little things, but you kind of, yeah, where you're just like, oh, I'm not going to pretend. Like, who has time for Gryffindor? This is not a Gryffindor situation. <laughs> Oh, that's, I'm trying to think of that. I've got specific examples from like when I knew we'd crossed yeah. the line. Nothing's like popping to mind immediately, but definitely. So I've got a group of really lovely friends from my gym who I adore and we're a real like ragtag bunch of, <laughs> bunch of weirdos <laughs> because I don't think most of us would have met in real life, you know, or certainly a lot of us wouldn't. And interestingly, even though we see each other every morning and seen each other every morning for years, it was actually during lockdown that I feel like our friendships were really forged when we were seeing each other a lot less. At the beginning when you were still allowed to work out in groups of five or whatever, we'd go and meet in the park, whatever. But it was actually the, and not to bring it back to Glennon Doyle again, but she's just got so many bring great, it back. Bring <laughs> so it many back. great metaphors. Bring it home. Her and her partner, Abby, talk about a maypole so for Abby, she was a soccer player. Her maypole of all of her friendships was soccer. So it was in the thing you all you hold on to, you dance around. It's the activity oh, that you do wow. together. It's like yeah. your anchor. It's like the center of gravity. Yes, yeah. your grounding force. And so obviously for us, our maypole was the gym. So most of our, you know, conversation and all of our hanging out was happening around that gym maypole. Then when that maypole was taken away and we were just left with each other, we actually realized like, oh, fuck, we're actual friends. Yeah. This happened like while we weren't looking. We thought we were just going and working out and having a stretch totally. together together every day, but it turns out what we were actually doing was falling in love with each other. Yeah. Oh god, <laughs> I'm so emotionally <laughs> yes, completely. Yeah, and and obviously like pandemic sucked and it was horrible not to be able to see them in person but one of the many gifts that came out of it was realizing what those relationships actually were completely yeah completely I you know it reminds me of um I have that at the dog park it was I take my dog there every day and it was the, it, that similar sense of like you have your kind of 5 30 p.m crowd who are all finishing work at the same time or bringing the dogs to the park and you're occupying the same space and that was the maypole you know and the beginning the first few months it is just really basic dog related chat yeah <laughs> like a lot of a lot of um, crate training debates. But then something happens where you kind of, you know, in the meantime, you're like, oh, yeah, how's your job interview going? How's it? And, like, without intentionally, without even meaning to, like, you've become part of each other's lives and you're invested and you do care how Matt's job interview went and you do care how Shelton's new program has got. Like, you suddenly 
Yeah, you yeah. send me friends, I guess. It's like sneak friendship. Yes, it creeps <laughs> up on you. It's the best kind of surprise. It is. It is because I think there's less like, um, you know, feeling like you're asking someone on like a friend yes. date and then you've got all of that sort of like risk-reward balance to worry about and be like, oh, what if they don't, what if they say no? Yeah. What if they don't like me? This sort of like friendship via osmosis where it, yeah, yeah, it's a sneak sneak attack, and it happens while you're not looking. <laughs> it's a sneak it's sort attack. of the best, <laughs> the best kind of sneak Friendship attack there is. A sneak attack. <laughs> to- yeah, totally. I think that's how. I guess as well for people, the equivalent. You know, there are people that go on a first date who don't know each other and have to find love that way, and then there's people who wake up and realize that their best friend of five years suddenly they almost realize they've been in love without knowing it yeah and they're both roots to this you know you can get to the same place but they're just very different ways of letting you know someone unfolding in your life I suppose or relationship unfolding Mm. that's so I like that visual of unfolding and I think it um happens in positive and negative ways too doesn't it you know like you grow apart from people over time, which is part of that, you know, folding or unfolding as well, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I was just going to say on that, with the difference between, like, the meeting someone on a date, whether it's a friendship or whatever romantic Mm. you are as a friend or from it emerging over time slowly, is it's always interesting to see the different ways people self-present. Because I suppose if you're a date is like a job interview or if you're meeting a friend on a friend date, so you are self-editing and giving that person the version that you think that they'll like. Yeah. Which is not yes. necessarily true at all because the parts of us that we think are the good parts are not necessarily the parts that other people relate to at all. Right. Versus with the with the gym example or with the dog park, like you're not self-editing in that way, which is such a gift because when you do, when that sneak attack happens... it's you like it it is you you don't have to doubt as much that what the person likes or has fallen for is in fact you yes why are you so pretty and so smart (laughs) it's not fair it's not fair to the rest of us that is such a great point because yeah you're not you're not auditioning you're not trying to be anything yeah and they get to yeah there's no all the parts and then to drop at any point yes yeah, there's no like, here's all my crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I've been saving it up. They see it. They um, see it. Hey, I reckon let's wrap up yeah. episode one, but I'm going to finish it with a question. And this is a question that I've flat out stolen from Will Anderson's Philosophy Podcast, but I think it's an excellent one. And um, I'm always really interested in people's answers. So I'm going to ask you. I'm ready. I'm not afraid. What would you try if you knew you could not fail? That is, that is an amazing question. It's a good question. It's a scary question. And it doesn't have to be like life, you know, world changing things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Okay, if I was going to go for something immediate and, and more tangible, I guess some, it would it would definitely be something physical. I think like mm. maybe getting fit would be something that I am eternally procrastinating on because there's some part of me that's so scared of setting that as a goal and then not achieving it and then mm. being like 
feeling like Bridget Jones, basically, I think. <laughs> so I think that would that would be an, an immediate without getting to without going full existential crisis. Yeah. What do you just out of interest, what would failure in that be? I think I think that's also a good question. I think failure would be committing to some kind of fitness practice that was only for a short term or physical result. Mm-hmm. Like it would feel like success if it became part of my world and was a thing that made me happy. And as a result of that, I was physically stronger, mm-hmm. but not doing some 60 day challenge and then not touching, not never going back to that gym again. Like I think mm. success would be integrating that into my world and my probably identity mm. would, would be. But then if you did that, right, say you did whatever 60 day challenge and then never went back, well, then you're no worse off than you are now. Yeah, that's true. You're not, you know, you're not falling below yeah. where you started from. The worst thing that can happen is that you go back to where you started and you probably won't do that either. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that would feel, maybe it's, maybe it's a fixed mindset. Maybe it's like a residual mm. fixed mindset versus growth thing where it's just, it's really hard for me to see that as progress. It like has to be. Yeah. Do you, you have a bit of a all or nothing tendency, don't you? Yeah. I do. Yeah. I'm Dan has the same thing. It. It's um, well, but it's not necessarily a bad thing though. That that's something that can be super, super helpful in some contexts. I think that with like so many of our of characteristics that we look at in ourselves, we tend to be really quick to label them as good or bad or healthy and unhealthy. Again, being I know. I was just gonna say that dualistic way of thinking. But most, I would say, characteristics other than like if you're very murdery, there's probably not a good. <laughs> Why would you bring that up now? Stabby today. Um, (laughs) But most things do have a have a positive flip side. So even if you take something like selfishness, which has some really ugly parts to it, some of the good parts to it is that you're able to prioritize your own needs that someone who's not able to do that would probably look at you and go, fuck, I wish I could do that. And then the bad side to it, obviously, you know, you you should prioritise other people's needs as well um, in in a balanced way. But I think, yeah, that that sort of binary all or nothing, Mm -hmm. good or bad kind of thinking is something that we're really brought up to believe in, you know, through media and culture of good guys and bad guys and, you yeah, know, there's very little yeah. room for grey area Definitely. in the stories that we're told because they have so much harder to tell and we don't know who to root for. Oh, my God. Exactly. Like, exactly. And I think as well so much. Sometimes I feel like a house where imagine you got a house and then you got a bunch of teenagers and you gave them the wires and the cords and you're like, you can just do all the electrics. You can do all the wiring for this house. And they just completely fuck it up. And then you're stuck 15 years later living in a house that was wired by teenagers. <laughs> and I think in a lot of ways, my oh, brain, it's because wow. teenagers are the classic example of that binaristic framework. Like that is a very adolescent way of viewing the world. Mm. And, um, and I think that a lot of the time we don't go back and check that wiring. So without even realizing it, like it plays out into adulthood because that was kind of, it was 15 year old you who, who laid down all that stuff. 
Oh, God. Does that make that is, sense? It makes perfect sense. I find it in equal parts liberating and depressing. Because <laughs> <laughs> I 100% have, yeah, have like 13-year-old wiring. Yeah. And some of it I'm aware of, but there's got to be a fuckload that totally. I'm not. Like that light hasn't gone out yet. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? That um, that thing hasn't started sparking yeah. yet, so I haven't noticed yeah, yeah, yeah. There is shit in there that I don't want to deal with and at some point no, I'm going to have to. It will burn down. It will, no one should let children do the electrics. No, it's why? Too- why does that happen? <laughs> okay, but before before then we finish, can I yeah. ask you the same questions? What would you do if you knew that you couldn't fail? Well, because I've heard this question asked so many times, I have thought about my answer a lot and I've changed. I mean, I've had a million different answers yeah. and a million different things, but I think... The main one that I keep coming back to is motherhood (laughs) because I'm so on the fence and being, you know, I'm 37 this year, it's a fucking topic of conversation everywhere (laughs) you go Um, and I'm pretty sure I don't want to but then I don't know, like reserving the right to leave the door open a jar. I keep feeling like, oh, I wish I had another five years. I wish I had another 10 years. I just want more time, more time, more time. But I don't think that time actually is the problem. I don't think that more time would make the decision easier for me. I think it would probably make it harder because this is, I mean, the friends of mine that have kids, most of them had them reasonably young. And I say young, I mean like in their 20s, not super, super young, what would have been totally normal in our parents' generation yeah. but now I think of as being like <laughs> child brides. Um, they didn't really think about it all that much. They had the feeling yeah. that they wanted to do it and they just and they went and they did it and it, that's great. But I think now I've thought about it so much and I almost feel like if you think about it too much, it's always going to be a no <laughs> because it sounds really terrifying. Yeah. But that's not, I, know that, I know that that's not true for some people. Some people just know with every fibre of their being that they want to be a mother. I don't have that at all. Um, But talking about wiring stuff, like I just, I always assumed that I would have kids because I think when you're younger, particularly as a kid, like you just sort of assume your life will be roughly the same as your parents. Like if your parents are married and have children, obviously your parents are going to have children. (laughs) But you know what I mean? You just assume that you will get married and have children and, um, you don't really think about the fact that there's choice involved in there, that you don't, you won't, you might not be able to, you might not want to, you might not meet the right person. There's all of, you, you might be gay and that has its own um, yeah. um, myriad of complications when it comes to having children, particularly in Australia. So it's, you know, no, nothing turns out the way that you think it will. Um, and I also, I think a big part of me is terrified that I wouldn't be good at it. Um, and, or, and I think there's sort of two sides of the same coin that I wouldn't enjoy it and that I would spend the rest of my life resenting something I had created that's a human being. And I don't want to be responsible for that. I feel like the very fact of that worrying you is, is proof that you're not that person do you know what I mean the fact that that even Mm. that you would care so much and and hypothetically empathize with the experience of this hypothetical child like do you know what I mean (laughs) but it could also like it could also be true you know what I mean I could have a kid and be like 
And I'm sure, regardless, I would obviously love that child. But I might also wish I hadn't done it. That is a possibility that exists. And it's much easier to not do it and not know than to do it and be like, oops. Listeners, write in with your thoughts. Leaving it on a super light Just note. Just weigh in. There's nothing like other people's opinions to really help with this. Mate, as a 37-year-old married woman who is currently childless, I know how many fucking opinions people have about think, whether or not I should have No, children. I think you just need some more. I think that'll, I think that'll really help. Going to help me make my mind up. <laughs> it's just Dan, the only yeah. listener writing it. He's like, I don't know, whatever you whatever want. Whatever you want, babe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway well yes on that very light lovely note we'll wrap up our first pilot episode we did it we did it high five Woo! oh that was yeah so good look at us we're basically um i don't know what who does good high fives (laughs) i was gonna say we're basically athletes but i don't (laughs) absolutely asking the wrong person Anyway, it was a great high five. It was a great first episode. I love you endlessly. I love you so I'm so I'm so happy for this excuse to hang out. Me too. Let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Imposter Syndrome Club. You can follow us on Instagram at ImposterPod or visit us online at ImpostorSyndromeClub.com. Um, right. Write and review. That's what podcasters like. Say. Like and subscribe. Like, yeah. <laughs> Are we real podcasters now? I think we've got this. Great.